Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe, and you're about to join me as we embark on another adventure where I find myself joined by and to another cinephile. Together, we will be given a theme, sometimes vague and sometimes specific, and then commanded to each choose a movie that fits that theme, watch, and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. And here we are with our guest this week, who I am very excited to have on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Johnny Duarte of creepykingdom.com. Johnny, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Um, I'm I'm definitely honored to be here. I'm very excited to be here and especially talking about the films that we're going to be talking about. I'm really excited to talk about these as well. Uh, Part of that is, listeners, just to give you a a glimpse at how this show is going, uh, this is the first conversation Johnny and I are going to have not online, or I guess it's still online, but in, uh, you know, actual conversation rather than tweets or messages shot back and forth to each other. Part of the reason I'm excited to have you on is because it actually relates pretty closely with why I'm doing this show and why I've chosen the format I have. So really quickly, let's just talk a little bit about how we know each other. Yes. uh, Basically, we, uh, we just kind of follow each other on Twitter, I think, right? Well, yeah, we, we started following each other because the Cinematic Void, who, who've been mentioned oh, on the right. show before, they're a group that puts on some pretty awesome screenings here in LA, normally at the Egyptian. And I had, I had just discovered them, or I had just found them right before the pandemic hit and right before everything went in lockdown. But luckily they started doing online virtual screenings that I've been, I've, I've watched every single one. There's a group of us that, that often live tweet the experience and yeah. We, we first came across each other there. We started following each other on Twitter after that, I believe. Yes, uh, definitely because of our crazy w- witty banter that we usually, <laughs> uh, that we do on, uh, on the Cinematic Void Up All Night, which they're having another one uh, this Friday of the time of this podcast. Recording. Yeah, actually, it'll, it'll be the night because this, this podcast is actually probably going to come out that morning. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so if people listen to this as soon as it comes out, uh, we'll give them a plug cinematicvoid.com slash midnight or just look up cinematic cinematic void on youtube and you can find them they're going to be doing something tonight or this friday night the 13th starting at 8 30 pacific and it'll be up all weekend so on youtube if you want to check it out it's always a fun time oh yeah i mean definitely like you told me uh you had a prediction of a movie that they might show that uh tonight let's just say tonight yeah okay i will be fine if i'm wrong because they always pick something that's fun to watch and discuss yeah but if they if it is the movie i picked i chose and i'm i guess i'll just say the prediction now unmasked part 25 it's a british (laughs) uh, slasher film kind of a parody of jason but it looks like it's it's not just a straight comedy it looks like they're making their own thing as well it's a movie i've been wanting to watch for a little while and Man, if they show it, it seems perfect for the void, and I would just love to watch it with everybody that that we watch it with when we're tweeting. Yeah, like I I'd be super excited because I mean, you showed me the trailer for it, and I'm so f- all for it. Yeah, it looks great. It looks great. Uh, yeah, so hopefully that'll be uh, that'll be tonight's uh, tonight's episode. So 
there's there's another little connection there because we 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 started to tweet back and forth on on well on twitter because of cinematic void and then our mutual friend carlos started started putting out new episodes of his podcast i left for film uh he was actually on just not too long ago you'll maybe you'll listen, listeners will remember him and i was listening to it one day and you were on and or this guy named uh johnny d or johnny duarte was on and i was like i know that name i don't know who this is i know that name and then I think another cinematic void came along and your name was popping up in my mentions or like you were, you were reacting to things and I was yeah. like, Oh, I follow him on Twitter. And, uh, <laughs> it was this moment where like hearing that and I, I like how much fun I was having on Carlos's show. Cause I've been on that a few times. Yeah. Same here. That, that really pushed me over that. I've been thinking about doing a podcast for years and that really made me go like, Oh, I should do that. I, I, I've been here in LA for six years and there was something about that first void screening I went to. I went to the January Giallo marathon uh, this film. year. Yeah. The five films. Yes. I was and at that screening too. So I've been here in LA for six years and I haven't really been doing as much stuff as I wanted to, Okay. but I went there and I'm sitting down the very first thing that plays after their, their little audio video introduction stuff was trailers for day of the dead and death wish three. Yes. <laughs> And when the the Golden Globus logo came on for the trailer for Death Wish Three, uh-huh. just the logo came on and the entire audience clapped and cheered. It was pretty much the first time in my six years in LA I felt I have found my people. Like I have found the group uh, of people I need to be a part of. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah, and so I've been super into all of these void screenings and live tweeting. And just like the connection of you being on Carlos's show and being a friend of him and being, oh, I know him because we follow each other because of this, it just felt like I need to do this show. I need to be more involved in this community because this is really what I want to do. So here we are. We're doing the show. Hell yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I, I've been a, I've been a movie geek for, you know, since I don't know when, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like I, 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 I feel you when you had that moment of like, these are my people, you know, because I mean, I, I told this on, on, uh, on Carlos's podcast. And, uh, I, I said, like, I, I was, I was going through a, like a bad breakup the year I turned 30 and, you know, I was, it was, it was bad. So, uh, like, you know, so I was trying to figure out like, you know, I need to get back to being why I'm cool. Why am I, why am I awesome? I know that <laughs> sounds vain, but you, you get what I mean. So I went to the, um, so I went to the new Beverly, you know, by myself, you know, nobody with me. I was like, you know, I'm just going to come here and just go back to my roots kind of, you know? And I literally, I felt, I felt at home. It it felt great. And then from then on, I just kept on going to, you know, the new Bev almost every single day or every week. And then the same with the Egyptian theater, like my first to go back to cinematic void for a second, my first cinematic void screening was, I think their third or fourth screening they've ever done. And that was Jack Frost. Not the Michael Keaton one. No, no. Yeah, the I remember which one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be great. It was the only 35 millimeter print they had. They had from the director himself. The, the movie came out as a direct-to-video movie. You know, it never really got a theatrical release or anything. But yeah, so this this um this screening was the first ever time it's ever gotten a 35 millimeter like screening. That sounds great. That sounds amazing. Like we said, you know, this, you know, these are our people. You know, we're all a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it 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 was really great because I moved down here to LA in my 30s. 
it, it's hard to like kind of make friends in LA, especially like me, you have kids and can't really go out a lot. And so, um, uh, uh, where are you from? Sorry. Uh, oh, Alaska. Oh, okay. Okay. So I, I moved down here and it's been six years and you know, all of my friends are, are work friends really. So it, it was like, I found the void in January and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to keep coming back to every one of these I can. I think I missed the Day of the Death Wish 3 one just because I, I had to work that night. And then, of course, like the pandemic happened and everything locked down and I haven't been able to go back. So it, it's been really great that they keep doing the shows. And I'm really happy that like Twitter exists and I'm able to keep in contact or, or build relationships with people that I would I would much rather be sitting in a dark theater with than talking online. But it's still it's still good to like, gosh, after six years here, finally feel like this is what I should have been doing. What was I doing all those years? Absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, like I said before, like honestly, Beyond Fest, Egyptian, I, I met all those people like, you know, from because of Beyond Fest an Egyptian basically like and they start following me on Twitter or Instagram and I'm like hey how would you follow me they're like oh yeah we saw you uh shoving your shoving your face with in a pie eating contest during the <laughs> Halloween screen like oh that's great <laughs> or like hey I just saw you chug some beer during the Tom Atkins uh Tomathon at the office I'm like oh beautiful <laughs> but yeah. I mean I've honestly I, I'm still friends with all those people you know and it, it's a it's a it's a great community it's a great loving movie geek community you know that we have and you know and i'm glad you know you're part of this you know that we can talk about bizarre unique any type of movies you know to bring it back around to the show i think i think we have each picked a couple of movies that really do kind of fit or at least tangentially fit that void aesthetic the uh the egyptian theater like i could i i'm excited to talk about these i think these both fit within like the kind of stuff that that we we all seem to be gravitating towards at the void the screenings or uh, at the egyptian absolutely actually so, one of them did play the egyptian but we'll get to that when we talk about the movie okay well why don't we why don't we get straight to it folks our our theme this week is i'm calling cartoon violence that's what the little note says so <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about the first of our two movies this week sweet All right, we're back. And first up, we're going to be discussing Hudson Hawk. For those of you who don't know, Hudson Hawk is a 1991 action comedy film directed by Michael Lehman, starring Bruce Willis in the title role as Eddie Hudson Hawk Hawkins, a professional cat burglar just out of prison for 10 years who finds himself embroiled in multiple plots to steal various items based on the works of Da Vinci that also contain various items to create a machine to turn lead into gold. The plot involves the CIA, the Vatican, plenty of goons and thugs and Italian mobsters, and Bruce Willis and partner Daniello's penchant for heists set to crooning standards or Rat Pack songs uh, that they use to time out their criminal activities. The movie was a critical and commercial failure when it was released, uh, earned three Razzies, including Worst Picture that year. But I believe it's one of those movies that either due to nostalgia or kind of a different audience find it, I believe it's critical or it's cultural awareness has changed over the years. I remember about 15 years ago or so having many conversations with people who were telling me that 
Hudson Hawk was an unappreciated genius. And I believe the number of fans that believe that has only grown over the years. Well, this was your your pick. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you're one of those people who believes this to be kind of an unappreciated work of, if not genius, uh, a an unappreciated <laughs> movie. I could tell you, like, without a doubt, I blame my brother for, for showing this movie to me when I was, like, around nine years old. Because, you know, I mean, it's it's a har- it's practically harmless. It's, like you said, it's it's cartoon violence. It's There's no nudity or, like, any, you know, crazy, hardcore, like, you know, gory violence. It's just all stupid, cartoony. And, uh, yeah, he showed it to me on, on, a, on his Laserdisc when I was nine years old, and I, I loved it ever since. And even now, like, I, you know, it, it's a comfort movie to me because this movie is without a doubt ahead of its time. Okay. All right. So listeners, I'm not sure how much of this I'm going to keep in, but we've just had a lot of technical issues. I think we've gotten them taken care of. So let's get this uh, Frankenstein's monster of an episode up and going on its feet. And we'll just start start back where, where you were. Um, Johnny, you were saying that you thought this film was ahead of its time. Well, yes, Aaron. Uh, Hudson Hawk is definitely ahead of its time. <laughs> and, uh, and I think if it, was, if it was made today, I think it would make a little more money than it did close to almost now 30 years ago i i agree with you on that i i really do because this this movie is just it's it's a live like you said it's a live action cartoon and it's it's kind of a musical as well you know i mean it has it has really kind of fun little like musical uh musical uh musical uh sequences um and it has a lot of you know weird bizarre characters i mean and also there's a there's a character named george kaplan who is also the uh, the character in uh, North by Northwest. Yeah. So I saw this movie when it first came out I, on video. I don't think I saw it in, in I, mean, I know I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it on video. It would probably would have been about 13 or 14. And I knew what its reputation was because even at that age, I was, I was reading Entertainment Weekly every week and I was watching Entertainment Tonight and I was following this stuff. So I knew it was already considered to be a terrible movie. And right. At the time, I, I watched it and I thought, well, that wasn't that bad. And I think maybe I saw it once or twice more. But this is the first time I've seen it since the mid-90s, at least, probably. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. And I enjoyed, like, large chunks of this movie. There, there's issues that I have with it. But <laughs> I, I laughed out loud several times. Uh-huh. Um, I was always kind of entertained. You're right. Like it's such a weird mix of tones and styles in a way that I I feel like audiences are just more receptive to nowadays. Yeah. Especially, you know, audiences consisting of people like us that maybe look for the underappreciated or the unloved. We, you know, we look for the underdogs and we like movies that are a little bit weird. We like movies that kind of like, kind of make these crazy choices and this movie makes a lot of crazy choices oh yeah i mean there's a whole ton there's a shit ton of rewrites during the making of this film i mean honestly like the stories that came out of this movie have just been kind of crazy like i was i mean there's been like frequent like script rewrites just of bruce willis throwing ideas around because basically this movie is actually based on a um bruce willis wrote the story for this film yeah it's like it's a concept and character he he had created back before he was an actor 
Yes, him and Robert Kraft, who is also a, uh, he also was in charge of music at Fox for a long time. They both came up with this uh, story. And uh, again, like it's, it, 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 there's a good form. There's a formula there that's really that should have been loved by everybody, to be honest. Because honestly, Bruce Willis was in his peak when he when he did this movie. I mean, he you know he was you know Mr. Moonlighting, Die Hard. Uh, I'm trying to think of other film. I'm trying to think of other movies before Hudson Hawk. Damn, I can't think of any. <laughs> but basically, like the two biggest ones is you know Die Hard and and his TV show Moonlighting. So Hudson Hawk was kind of like going back to you know, doing kind of comedy, you know, when what he kind of started with, but it was just way too out there for people in, back in 1991, you know, that a lot of people were turned off by it. You have a, a candy bar gang where their names are like Butterfinger, Kit Kat, Almond Joy. Uh, did I miss one of them? Wait, you said Butterfingers, Kit Kat, Almond Joy. Oh, and Snickers. Snickers. Okay. You know, and and then you have a uh, Tommy Two Tone, uh, Tommy Five Tone, played by Danny Aiello. Each time he punches somebody in the face, they make a sound. So it's like the first sound, ow, two, pew, three, oh, four, and then the like the last one is like a big ding. But yeah, every time he punches somebody five times, it makes a different sound. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, this. This movie is such a live action cartoon and which is like, I, I know we've said that already. It's, but it yeah. has cartoon sound effects. It has like just impossible feats of like, <laughs> like the physics in this movie. We're jumping on, we're going to jump all over the plot. I mean, people can rent this. We're going to spoil stuff. When, when Danny Aiello's character dies or seems to die at the end, he goes off the cliff. <laughs> He's locked in a limo. He goes off of a cliff. The limo explodes. And he just shows up later and he's got like soot on him and his clothes are a little bit singed. And they're like, how did you, how did you survive that? Airbags. But it exploded. Sprinkler system in the back. What are you going to say? It's just, it's it's such a heightened reality. Like I, I can see people being a little bit let down by some of the, some of the moments in the film like I, I feel like a lot of the a lot of the movie feels like comedy but isn't actually as that funny especially I, I don't like to single anybody out I don't like to be negative but uh-huh. I, I feel like Andy McDowell does not have the right energy for this role I mean she's definitely playing the straight woman in this she yeah. I don't think I don't think she was really meant to be like oh here comes miss miss funny lady over here you know no but- no, but I think she, she was more the the straight plot. You you say that, but she's also an undercover nun who has like these light up crucifixes on her wall. <laughs> That's for right. The, for the like the <laughs> priest to contact her whenever she needs whenever they need to get her to to report for duty. Her character is very silly and she does some cross-eyed stuff later on like she just she doesn't have the right the right tone. She can't like really match the the screwball tone of this movie i don't think right and i know i know it people like to rag on her a little bit but i i I think she's fine i i don't i don't think she's bad i just think she doesn't fit what this movie is going for but i also feel like there's there's other points that like some of bruce willis's one-liners are like huh was, was that supposed to be funny that was just weird the movie never felt like a slog to me like it never, it never felt like a failure. It just felt like, well, this is fascinating. This is weird. I am laughing a lot at, at several points in this movie, but uh-huh. 
Oh, you know what it is? The best characters in this movie by far are the Mayflowers, Richard Grant and Sandra Bernhardt. Uh-huh. They are having so much fun in this movie and they seem to really like really get the energy they should be giving. <laughs> they're just mm-hmm. so much fun to watch in this. I don't think everything in the movie fits that, but they're they are the tone I wish the whole movie had had kind of gone for. I get that. I totally get that. I mean, look, I mean, there's a there's a quote that I say a lot in public, which is very I mean, it's it is probably the weirdest thing to I mean, I say a lot of weird things in public. I mean, Wait. a lot of friends will testify that. I think I but, might know I what mean, this is. <laughs> so basically towards the end of the film, when they finally get like all the all the, the crystals to make the gold, they're about to start the machine, and then you hear and Richard Grant does this amazing, amazing uh like monologue, which actually is supposed to be longer, but they cut out a lot of his monologue, unfortunately. My favorite quote of his in that monologue is if Da Vinci was alive today, he'd be eating microwave sushi naked in back of a Cadillac with the both of us. Wait, was that the quote you're you're no, you're thinking? I actually thought. Do not be insulted by this, but what I know of you, I thought maybe you would just quote Bruce Willis's, uh, well, I guess we know who wears the penis in this family. No, actually, I haven't. I don't remember that line. <laughs> I don't, actually. And I just it's, saw it again. He says um, he's he's uh, handcuffed meeting the Mayflowers for the first time, right? That's right. The Mayflowers, not the Mayweathers, right? Uh, uh, the, uh, the Mayflowers, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he's meeting them, and Sandra Bernhardt kind of take command, takes command of the meeting, and he says that about her. Oh, no. <laughs> it's definitely not that line. Okay. No, but it's 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 the uh, the, the, the microwave sushi line. I, I, I say that a lot. I'm just... If I'm in public, if I'm with friends, I'm like, you know what, you know what, so and so. If the Vinci was alive today, he'd be eating microwave sushi naked in the back of a Cadillac with me. Can you just for a minute think about microwaved sushi? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. It's it, That's it, it disgusting, sound, right? <laughs> it sounds really disgusting. Like, I mean, sushi is obviously meant to eat cold. <laughs> think about microwaved fish. A let alone like microwave oh. sushi <laughs> yeah that's it's fucking nasty <laughs> but i look past the annie mcdowell things i look past the maybe the the bad one-liners for bruce willis but all that i just i forget those lines because it's just this movie has so much for me to enjoy you know again like you have like great little like musical moments of like bruce willis and danny aiello trying to figure out like you know how long it's going to take them to to steal like the horse in the first scene in the first um like um robbery yeah the the are you talking about like the musical like they're they're running through which songs yeah i mean and you have a great and also besides that you got a great score by uh, michael Kamen. i feel like the heists set to their singing i feel like that's a really big part about what bruce willis wanted to do i can imagine oh, yeah. him being like this that being the catalyst for him doing this entire character so it's weird that they only do it twice i i actually wanted more of that in this movie yeah each time it kind of gets cut cut short like i just wanted more of that because it it's kind of a fun cool concept oh yeah i mean definitely this movie is a straight up great concept but yeah like you said i mean there should be more musical numbers you know but as you know like this movie had a lot of troubles on sets a lot of craziness a lot of rewrites a lot of uh reshoots and then you know you have like you have like little weird like little cameos by frank stallone so the stallone's brother as one of the mario brothers <laughs> which that really should have keyed everybody into what type of movie this is going to be. 
Uh-huh. I mean, it's a lot of video game references because, again, Bruce Willis's character, Hudson Hawk, you know, he finally gets released from prison. And uh, all he wants to do is play Nintendo and drink it and drink a nice cappuccino. The entire movie, the, the whole running gag in the entire film is Tim. Every time he gets a cappuccino, something goes wrong. Either the machine goes, the machine gets broken. He's about to drink something and then somebody shoots the cup out of his hand. Like he just wants to have a fucking cappuccino throughout the entire film. And then finally, the last shot in the film, he drinks that cappuccino and that, and it closes the book. Oh, speaking of the book, it starts off with, um, what's his name from, uh, from Jake and the Fat Man, the, uh, the Fat Man uh, actor. I forgot his name, but he narrates the beginning and the ending of Hudson Hawk. It opens up like a storybook. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not realize <laughs> that, was, that was who that was narrating it. Yeah, I mean, he also was the narrator for uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. It was William Conrad. William Conrad. That's right. The opening intro with Leonardo da Vinci. Yes. And I'm I'm sorry. My my oldest daughter gets my four year old just all the time. Like, who painted the Mona Lisa? So my four year old will go da Vinci. And, da Vinci. Da Vinci. <laughs> <laughs> that's like i was so worried going into this episode like oh i'm gonna have to talk about da vinci a lot and i'm probably going to say da vinci at one point point. and you know what knock on wood you have not said da vinci except for you explaining it so that's yeah. good good congratulations <laughs> that's really cute. i think that's really cute though that's really cute yeah, it is always funny. It always gets a laugh out of us. Would you show? Okay, so I like I said, I saw Hudson Hawk at nine years old. Would you show your girls <laughs> Hudson Hawk? Well, my oldest is sixteen. Oh, okay. Well, at sixteen, she can watch whatever the hell she wants, right? Like, what what's the point <laughs> in hiding stuff from her now? Hey, I'm sorry. I don't know if you can hear that, but the like emergency system is going off. Do you? Yeah, we just got it as I just got it as well. Is it an Amber Alert or what? It's my, a, my phone's not here. COVID-19 cases are increasing. By the way, this is part of Hudson Hawk. COVID-19 cases <laughs> are increasing. Please wear a mask, social distance, get tested if you have symptoms or might have been exposed. What weird times we're living in right now. Yes, it sounds like we're living in the end of the world, but I think we're more in the end of the world like for the past four years. But I think we'll be okay. I don't know about you. I never drink. I'm, I, I mean, I don't have anything against it. I have an alcoholic beverage like every once in a while. Uh-huh. I haven't had anything to drink in, in a couple of years, except oh, wow. for anniversaries. And we had two bottles of champagne in the house. We bought one when he got coronavirus and we were maybe expecting some good news. <laughs> As you can tell, this is a this is a very, very anti-Trump uh, podcast. Oh, in my first episode, I, I flat out said defund the police. I don't want anybody to be surprised by my politics. Like if you wait, excuse this, me. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. De definitely defund the police. No. And then we got the second one, like the day before election, I got, I went out and got another bottle. Cause I'm like, well, whatever the results, we're probably going to want some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, oh gosh, it just feels like, especially this last year, uh, we've all just been living in, I mean, I guess the twilight zone would be the cliche way to put it. We, we, we live in the outer limits. Let's because outer limits doesn't get too much love. So let's, Let's throw in Outer Limits. And That's Outer fun. Limits has monsters, which we definitely have right now as well. Yes. Okay, so now we got to get back to the movie. I can tell you there is a moment in this movie that made me choke. I was laughing. And <laughs> what scene? It was, it, it was a really simple, like not a very big moment in the film, but it's when the Mayflowers bring Hudson Hawk 
uh, to their little boardroom meeting and he yes. has those handcuffs on and uh -huh. Richard E. Grant is like walking around him and monologuing and he's got such a great manic energy. Oh and yeah. He walks past him. He just does this spin and slaps his butler <laughs> across the face and the butler <laughs> like, and then he just walks on like nothing happened. And the butler is just like, what the hell? I was eating something at the time. And I laughed so much and I just started choking. I had to pause the movie for a couple <laughs> and go like clear my throat, get some water. My daughter was terrified. Um, the continuity in the film is, is like all over the place. I mean, because you have like, you know, you have Danny Aiello and, and uh, Bruce Willis jumping off a building. They both are landing in the same area, but then it cuts to Bruce Willis falling right on top of a, like a, like a seat, like in an apartment building. Like, where did that come from? Well, that was just an interesting edit. I like that transition from one scene to the next. Yeah. I wish they had done it again because he falls off a building again. And, it yeah. and I was like, oh, is he going to fall into the next scene of the movie? That's a cartoony thing to do as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I firmly believe from what we're talking about that you like this movie a lot more than I did. Um, yes, <laughs> most not, likely. Yeah. <laughs> but my problems with it are just kind of the tone is inconsistent, but when I was watching it, I was like, you know what? The direction for this is pretty on point. Like the guy's got a good, like that transition we were just talking about where he's jump, he's jumping off a building and then it cuts to the next scene as he's like falling into a seat. Like that's fun. Yes. The writing, what was it? It's um, Stephen E. D'Souza and Daniel mm -hmm. Waters came in for a rewrite. Daniel Waters yes. from Heathers. Mm -hmm. Like the script is good. Like, you know, I have my issues with some of the one-liners and there's this, this weird moment the henchmen are sitting in a car watching, like waiting for Bruce Willis to come out. And the, ah, yes. the dumb guy just says, do you want me to rape them? <laughs> Where it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's such a random fucking lie. It is. But it was also a moment like, whoa, movie. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like now. Okay. Look, if you, if you can't get away with that joke now, obviously. No, no, no. So I like so much about it. I think the script is there. I think the direction is there. I just feel like Bruce Willis and his star power at the time ran roughshod over the movie and just kind of changed whatever he wanted so that certain elements just don't seem to fit. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I'm going to read this quote. at uh, There was a 30th anniversary event for The Running Man, and Stephen oh, D'Souza okay. was talking about exactly when he knew Hudson Hawk was changing from what they had written. So he was in Italy. He was in a trailer with Bruce Willis and the producer, Joel Silver. Joel Silver knows his way around these, this type of movie. And he said, he said that while I'm in the trailer, the phone rings and it's Mark Hanton, who was then a Warner Brothers executive. Mark wow. Hanton calling Bruce Willis saying, we've just had a test screening of The Bonfire of the Vanities. You tested through the roof. We are recutting the movie to make your part bigger. Bruce gets off and says, mm -hmm. that was Mark Canton. They just had a test screening of Bonfire of the Vanities. I tested through the roof. They're recutting the picture. And he's getting excited. And then Stephen D'Souza says, Joel Silver kicks me and says, fucking Mark Canton just fucked his movie and ours. Watch what happens this week. Oh, my God. And then he said that Stephen D'Souza says that was completely true, that Bruce decided the movie should get crazier and crazier. So he's the one that brought in Daniel Waters. Yeah. Finally, the studio called me up and said, uh, you get along with Bruce. We're sending you, your wife, all expenses paid. We have no money to pay you, but we will send you over, rent a villa for you. <laughs> You've got to take the pencil out of Bruce's hand and put the script back to the one you wrote. I go there and Joel Silver immediately mm -hmm. says, Bruce hired us. It's not our job to tell him he, he can't make the movie he wants. 
it's the studio executives and the studio executive is coming over here tomorrow. And apparently that studio executive was in Italy for three days, ignoring Bruce Willis, making excuses for why he couldn't get to set. And so nobody stopped Bruce Willis from doing whatever he wanted to do with this movie. Oh my God. I, I haven't read the original script. I think it probably was a good idea to bring Daniel Waters along because I feel like a lot of the crazy, crazy stuff works. Like it's actually fun. I, I do feel like there is just the movie got out of out of everybody's hands in some way or another. Yeah, I mean, look, like I said, I mean, there's several rewrites and and it shows. It definitely shows that there's still something. There's still a lot to enjoy about this movie, to be honest with you. In, in my own opinion, at least. No, I definitely agree. Oh, the other law, the other quote I, I say a lot as well, besides the uh, the microwave sushi bit, is uh, after uh, Hudson Hawk kill like pretty much kills the uh, the butler character, like decapitates his head. He he yells out, "You won't be attending that hack convention in July." Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know why, but that that line always gets me, and I say that a lot as well i'm like hey won't be to a heck convention in july oh man <laughs> there's so many fun things in here i just have like a couple of things written down like notes that I, of things that i thought were very funny uh-huh. uh, when the mario brothers kidnap bruce willis in an ambulance <laughs> yes it's a mario brothers ambulance like they they have their own branded ambulance yes <laughs> and then that entire scene when he gets like flung out the back of the ambulance on the, the gurney and he's going down the highway yeah he's coming up to the toll booth and he just like the cut to bruce willis as he's looking like exact change and he has yeah money that he throws in that was funny i like that there's the the postal subway at the vatican when he's down there there's people that are just taking a big cross like a, a like the, the size of the one that jesus was crucified on <laughs> yes. and it's just covered in a bunch of airmail stickers <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> Like little tiny uh, funny bits, like the Italian guards at the museum. He's pouring out the spaghetti out of his thermos, like it's coffee. That, that just looks disgusting. Oh like, god, I, so gross. That and microwave sushi. So, see, I, I feel like I should just fuck with people and be like, "Hey, let's do a Hudson Hawk screening at my house, and let's and let's have let's have microwave sushi and and spaghetti out of a thermos." Oh. oh <laughs> You'd have to microwave that outside. Oh my God. Your apartment yeah. oh, or house would oh, just... oh, and of course cappuccinos. I forgot about that. And and one of them has to have ethyl chloride in it. It's just oh. a random <laughs> Yeah, that'll be the winner. Like whoever gets this, whoever gets that special cappuccino, guys, wins I don't know what to be determined. Um, get a good night's sleep. Oh, and David Caruso plays one of the henchmen. Uh yes, Kit Kat. And he's he's mute. Like there's so much going on with this character for a character that we hardly ever see. He has so many things he's mute and he carries around little, just like little cards for whatever he wants to say in any given moment. He's constantly dressing up in disguise as somebody else. Yes. Like the first time you see him in a disguise, he's, he's actually dressed up like Bruce Willis. That confused me at first. I didn't realize it was David Caruso because he's dyed his hair and he's wearing Bruce Willis clothes. I thought, I thought it was just like a street performer, like a mime that was mocking Bruce Willis. And then you see him again. He's dressed up as Andy McDowell. There's never a reason for it. Like, why is he dressing up? It's He's not pretending to be the people. He's dressing up as them for some for no reason that I had never figured out. Yeah. That's one bit I wish had been taken just another step farther. I, I wish it had just gotten a little bit crazier. Like, like he has all those notes when he's killed. 
all of his little note cards that have all of his things that he wants to say spill out. And it, there's dozens of them, hundreds maybe. We only see him use them like two or three times. I, I, I wish they'd kept using them and just kept escalating each time. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, actually just looking at, I'm looking at IMDb right now and just checking out all the, the people that are in it, especially um, what's the name? The, the guy who played Butterfinger, he was Leatherface in the, uh, the, the first Texas Chainsaw reboot. Yeah. He's got the build for it. <laughs> And he's 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 also a stuntman as well. He, I forget he was Butterfinger at that time. I was like, oh, shit. It's a pretty good cast. There's a lot of people in the background. Both of the movies we're discussing today, even though I don't have a particular nostalgia for them, it just really did take me back to that early mid-90s, my my young teens, <laughs> and just that style of movie is is pretty comforting to me. I don't think that this movie is a masterpiece. If somebody tells me it's their favorite movie, that's fine. I mean, like, it, it's fun. It's much better than its reputation. It's definitely a lot better than the video game adaptation of Hudson Hawk. Oh, I never played Which I that. also played. Oh, which no. Which I also played. My my brother, again, uh, he, he had a Game Boy. And he actually bought a lot of movie tie-in video games. He bought Lethal Weapon 3, the video game. He bought uh, Hudson Hawk, the video game, like I said. I mean, obviously, Hudson Hawk, the video game is, you know, not a lot of stuff is, you know, from the movie. It's just a quick movie tie-in. So, I mean... Those those licensed games were never good. I think they've gotten a little bit better, but licensed games are just a... Especially a, in the 90s. Yeah, they're just like a recipe for an awful, awful time. Like the most well, disappointing Christmas gifts. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll talk about... I mean, I, I would like to like talk more about that. I mean, i.e. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, and also uh, Last Action Hero. It was also a tie-in video game, but we'll get to that later on. We got to get back to the actual... Like, we got to wheel it back in now. Like, I know there's people that are like, what the fuck is Hudson Hawk? You know what I mean? And then, you know, you have your opinion about it. It's not as crazy and delightful as, you know, my, my memories of Hudson Hawk, you know? I will say that's correct. I do not have the, the associations with it that you do, but I uh -huh. still found the film largely delightful. I don't want to tip my hand too much about where we're going to go for the next movie. But of the two, I, I really think Hudson Hawk is the more successful. It's the one that I'll probably, I would probably return to and will. I'm, I'm sure I will watch it again uh, sooner or more often than The Last Action Hero. I thought there's a lot of great stuff to recommend Hudson Hawk. If, if, I, if I didn't think it's like it was completely successful. I still really enjoy watching it and would and would re recommend it to people, would say it's worthwhile. Absolutely. Do you have anything else you want to say? We uh, we kind of like went all over the place, but um, <laughs> do you have any any more thoughts on Hudson Hawk? Uh, I want to I want to blame my brother again just for uh, for showing me Hudson Hawk at a young age and having this uh, love for it. Because, again, like, honestly, I me and my brother were the only two that loved that film. I didn't know anybody who knew that film or even like thought of it. Up until I would say like less than five years ago, I started seeing people on Facebook, a couple of friends of mine, uh, I have a mutual friend who's a director and he's like, holy shit, man, you're, you like Hudson Hawk too? Oh my God. I thought I'd be the only one. I'm like, yeah, me too. So I'm like, cool. There's like four people I know now that, that know this movie. But yeah, like you said, like I'm slowly seeing more and more people in my, at least in my film geek circle that have seen this film and love this film as much as I do. It's definitely getting a, um, I think, deserved reappraisal. People are, t people are taking a different look at it. And I really hope and pray that they show it whenever, uh, whenever the Egyptian comes, uh, whenever the Egyptian opens up again, I would love to see a 35 of Hudson Hawk. Yes. If they did that, I would, I would probably have to join you there for it. <laughs> Hell Yeah.
and we're back. Our next movie is Last Action Hero from 1993. It is an action comedy fantasy film directed by John McTiernan of Die Hard fame, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and written in part by Shane Black, superstar writer of that period of big budget action movies. The film is in part a parody of the action films of Shane Black, the type that Shane Black would write, and features a young boy who gets sucked into the fictional world of his favorite action hero star, Jack Slater, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. The movie is full of a lot of meta in-jokes, a lot of references to the work of the writer, producer, and star of the film and many other action films of the late 80s and early 90s, and also features many of the actors in dual roles as their fictional characters and their real-life personas outside of the film. Like Hudson Hawk, this was a huge critical and commercial flop in 1993 when it came out, and is another movie that has developed a cult following over the years and is maybe seeing a little bit of a cultural reappraisal. I think uh, popular opinion on this movie is softening a little bit, but I do remember when this came out, everybody was absolutely vicious. Like this movie got torn apart everywhere. Absolutely. And it also came out, it also came out the same day as Jurassic Park. Just remember that. Uh, it came out actually a week later. We'll get, we'll get into that. Oh, that's this, right. Yeah. This is a movie. I, I kind of want to talk more about the production of this movie than the movie itself. Okay. Um, well, we don't, we'll, we'll get it. We'll, we'll get into the whole thing. We'll, we'll cover both of it. But first of all, um, what's your history with this movie? When did you first see Last Action Hero? I saw it opening weekend at the Cinerama Dome. No way. And, yes. Again, I blame my brother. Uh, actually, hey. uh, before the movie came out, there used to be a, um, it, it's still, there, it's still around, but it's it was it's not as cool as it was when it first started. There used to be a Los Angeles comic book convention that was actually in the Shrine Auditorium back in the early 90s to early 2000s and they always had the best guests there. They I mean Sam Raimi was there for Quick and the Dead, Tim Burton was there for Batman, Arnold Schwarzenegger surprised everybody for Last Action Hero. Basically, I mean, this was Los Angeles comic book convention was practically Comic Con before there was a it was you know Comic Con mania, you know because they show like you know special clips that no one could see, you know showing test footage or like all this type of th stuff, you know. So they show like you know early clips of Last Action Hero, you know that no one has seen yet, and they they were giving out you know they gave out like special prizes, like somebody actually won the huge mangus humongous like cutout of the the whole last action hero um poster oh and schwarzenegger signed it in front of people and schwarzenegger dressed up as jack slater when he came on stage because the lights went dead went dead we hear big gun by acdc and then out of nowhere one big spotlight schwarzenegger shows up people are like wow you can't hear anything no one expected he was going to show up but it was such a great moment. So that was my, you know, my beginning of it. You know, I've loved that film ever since, like, because I have a lot of great memories with that film. Because, I mean, again, it's a big cartoon, you know, it's a big cartoonish movie. And it's and it's about a kid who goes to the movies, you know, so of course I'm going to fucking like it. So again, yes, movie didn't make a dime. Fast forward to, I think, three years ago, the, uh, the, uh, the American Cinematheque, always going back to the American Cinematheque, just letting you know that. Uh, that they had a 70 millimeter festival where they showed a lot of like either 70 millimeter blow ups or 70 millimeter 
you know, films that were shot in 70 millimeter, but a lot of them were 70 millimeter blow up. So like they showed Tron, the thing, the dark crystal, I think the last Starfighter, I believe. But the thing that really got to me, which I was shocked that they had a double feature at the Arrow Theater. They screened Last Action Hero on 70 millimeter and Streets of Fire. And I've never seen Streets of Fire, but obviously I went to Last Action. I'm like, all right, I'm dropping everything. I don't care what I'm doing that day. I'm going to go. And of course, some of my movie geek friends were like, oh, shit, there's screen last action hero. I can't wait. So we all went, enjoyed the hell out of it. And it was so nice to actually watch a nice, clean print because it doesn't look like it has not been screened <laughs> in a long time. So it's a it was a nice, beautiful, pristine 70, min- 70 millimeter blow up of last action hero. And it brought back a lot of fun memories. And me and my buddies were just having a ball, just, you know, uh, reminiscing about the movie. Because, again, it's, again, definitely a lot of troubles uh, behind the scenes, a shit ton of rewrites, and I know you'll get into that in a bit. But, I mean, again, and another great score by Michael Kamen. This is, it's kind of a Michael Kamen double feature as well. A lot of interesting connections. I also want you to remember the name uh, Mark Canton that I talked about earlier as the producer yes. that, that kind of like screwed over Hudson Hawk. Yeah. He shows up a little bit in this as well. <laughs> Mm, uh, just okay for that oh and then one more thing like this is also our carney's last um appearance final yes. movie appearance yeah and his last his last line then is i'm out of here yeah the last thing he says on screen i did not see this in theaters and i'm not entirely okay. sure why other than the fact that i just going to the movies was a regular thing for me but not but still kind of a also a treat like it wasn't something i could do every day or every week right but I don't know why I didn't see this. It seemed like it would be up my alley. I mean, I was 15 years old at the time. But yeah, I saw it when it came out on, on video. So it probably would have been the next year. I remember, like Hudson Hawk, being aware of the reputation of how badly people tore this movie apart. Yeah. And I also remember watching it and thinking, there's a lot of really cool stuff in here. Kind of having my mind blown by the meta nature of the movie, which yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't as familiar with. And like Hudson Hawk, I think it's another movie that would be better received today. Just because I think I think more character, more people are kind of aware of metafiction and how that would work, mm-hmm. and would be probably a little bit more willing to accept the very basic, like just the basic premise of this movie. Um, yeah. Anyway, like Hudson Hawk, I knew what its reputation was. I remember seeing the movie and thinking, like, "Hey, that was that was pretty good. That wasn't as bad as everybody says." And then I I never really went back to it. I think I saw it one. I've seen it once since that initial viewing. And this is my first time seeing it in a very long time. Out of curiosity, how old were you when this came out? I was eight turning nine. You maybe have the emotional or, or like nostalgic association with this movie that I have for like Masters of the Universe, which I saw three times <laughs> in one day at in the theaters. Oh, wow. No, trust me. I get that. I totally get that. Like, yeah, I love watching a film multiple times, either the same day or the same weekend. Love that. Especially if a movie gets, you know, especially if a movie gets me. So yeah, I totally get the massive of the universe. Have you watched it recently? I have not. I keep thinking I really need to. So last action hero, I probably don't have the same nostalgic appreciation. Like I said, I enjoyed it. Being 16, I was maybe getting a little too cool for for kind of how kid oriented this movie is. Okay, but that that may have colored my my interpretation of it at the time, and why maybe why I didn't kind of gravitate to it or go back to it. But I'm glad that we 
are doing it for this podcast because it's been one I wanted to revisit for years, especially as kind of my my esteem for Shane Black grew over the past few years, ever since Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Uh, and his work as a writer-director has been so great. We, we won't talk about Predator <laughs> or The Predator. I kind of liked it. Sorry. <laughs> look, I mean, look, it's not the best Predator film, but I mean, it was it was watchable. No, I, I, I will totally it, agree it, with that. And it had very Shane Black, you know, moments without a doubt well yeah it, it was it was set on christmas right <laughs> oh no it's set on halloween oh was it there's no it was, christmas in it i i just remember <laughs> no it's actually it's it's set on halloween because uh remember when the kid actually finds the uh the helmets the part of their helmet he walks around with it while everyone's trick-or-treating that's right oh my gosh wow so this might because, be the only shane black movie not featuring a christmas scene huh that's true because i mean I, i'm glad you pointed that out because yeah i mean definitely shane black is is known for a lot of his films take place during christmas we, even the nice guys the nice guys they, we don't see it taking place at christmas until the end of the movie it's like oh okay that's a shane black film yeah yeah he just has a, a, an appearance of Christmas in all of his movies, a fact that is parodied very early in this movie. In the movie within a movie, Jack Slater 3, that Danny is watching in the theater, it is uh, yeah. Christmas that in that movie. Oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Last Action Hero was written by Zach Penn and Adam Leff. Zach Penn has had, had more success lately. He wrote The Avengers for Marvel. But it was written very, like, I think it was their first script and it was written as a parody of, in part, Shane Black movies. But then once it was bought, uh, the, the script was actually given to Shane Black to rewrite. <laughs> and Shane Black brought in another friend of his to, to kind of like handle the jokes, just make it funnier. So yeah, the, the movie has the fingerprints of not only four credited writers, but several uncredited script doctors, including Carrie Fisher and William Goldman. Yep, William Goldman was always the go-to uh, script doctor. Yeah, but also Arnold Schwarzenegger had a lot of authorial control. Uh, yeah, because he he's known for making, you know, he's known for writing great, great dialogue. <laughs> well, of course, countless studio executives seem to have just decided to make demands. From what I was reading, there, there's a, a pretty good oral history I found for Last Action Hero. It looks like... Uh, John McTiernan was rewriting parts of the script as well. Yes. It just seems like the idea a young kid gets sucked into the action movies mm. that he is continually watching and the action star he idolizes. The idea just got watered down so much. From what I, I've read, the only scene that still exists from the original script is the Hamlet parody. Really? Yeah. When Danny is in class, his teacher is showing Hamlet and he starts, he starts imagining Hamlet as if it was starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as Jack Slater. Yes. That scene is the only one that still exists, which is funny to me because I, it just seemed to me like a very obvious like Mel Gibson slam because he had just done Hamlet or w when did he do Hamlet? It was around this time. Yeah. yeah, 1991. Yeah. Okay. So it was a couple of years after. Yeah. So there's another little in-joke in there. This movie is full of in-jokes. The teacher that shows Hamlet is Joan Plowright. Yes. Who was Laurence Olivier's widow. And Laurence Olivier played Hamlet. That's the version she starts playing before Danny is uh, fantasizing about yes. Schwarzenegger. And there's a lot of that in this movie. A lot of it's really fun. There's so many references to other movies. I liked this movie a little bit less than I was expecting to on a rewatch. I liked it less than <laughs> Hudson Hawk, but there's still something about it that 
is very pleasant to be in like uh-huh. in the moment i'm like this is this is just fun to watch and experience even if i'm not technically really enjoying everything that's going on uh, uh-huh. i'm sorry to say i know i know you, you I, you're you like this movie more than i so maybe i should let you take the no take no, the no no definitely like i i i I, I I will I I want to hear somebody with you know with a uh, another you know point of view on it. I mean, you're not going to be saying, "Man, this movie fucking sucks." Like you actually are having you know there is some good points to it. But yeah, let me hear like I want to hear your your take on it. Yeah. So a lot of my problem with it, it's kind of the same problem I had with Hudson Hawk, mm-hmm. is that it has the feeling of humor without actually being very funny. I thought Hudson Hawk was the funnier movie. And in this movie, it kind of seems all over the place. It seems like Arnold Schwarzenegger came in and used his star power. Like his star power just weighted down the rest of the movie. He's definitely the right person for this role. And it's it's so great to see like young, swaggering Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? Like yeah. it's Arnold Schwarzenegger at his prime. And that is all oh, yeah. that is always just like fun to watch but i feel like the script for the movie it lacks any real focus and that's best exemplified in danny and jack slater their characters because danny lives in new york this very crime-ridden dangerous new york like there's a there's a home invasion scene at one point Uh and his mom talk is a is a widow has to work nights and she talks about how their the dad died of cancer like not too long ago. So it's kind of a really it's always raining in that New York. It's always a very it's a very grimy gray place and he idolizes yeah. the LA set adventures of Jack Slater. Mm-hmm. And as we see in the movie within a movie Jack Slater 3, Jack Slater lost his son died at the end of part 3. So Jack yes. Slater's lost a son, Danny has lost a father and he's retreating in from his very depressing world into a very violent wish fulfillment world. Like he's just obsessed with these action movies yeah, that are very bright. The movie itself, like that's a, that's a really strong setup. Like these characters find each other. One has lost a child, one has lost a father, and they're both looking for something that isn't quite in their world. But the movie doesn't explore that. Like I, I'm giving it more weight than the movie does. <laughs> right. The only mention we get, the only thing that the death of Jack's son does is at one point, he sees a picture and then suddenly he's like, I have to go. And he goes and mopes for a little while. There's no real reason for him to go and do that, except he just needs to leave the house so that the villains can attack and, you know, endanger his daughter and Danny. Yeah. And, and that itself is a meta joke. I appreciate that that is kind of funny, that that's just like an action movie thing where he has an arbitrary tragedy that just makes him depressed for one scene. Like you think about Lethal Weapon and or I'm thinking maybe more Lethal Weapon 2 and Mel Gibson's character just having that really depressing scene about the woman he lost where yeah. he's like crying. And and then it's not really a part of his character for the rest of the movie. So I appreciate in this movie that it is a joke, but it also seems like such a, it seems like it's meant to be the basis of this movie and the movie doesn't explore it at all. I also kind of feel like this movie would have worked better if it had been R-rated. Uh, yeah, like according to IMDb, uh, uh, Schwarzenegger wanted this movie to be PG-13 to to obviously have a bigger audience. He also wanted to, like, kind of, he was looking to soften his image a, a bit. Like, I think he had just done, well, he had done Kindergarten Cop, but I believe he had just done Twins as well. And then, of course, Terminator 2, which completely softens his character in that movie in a good way. <laughs> yes. I think that's, like, the the best example of Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. kind of, like, reinventing himself from the uh, 
the unstoppable killing machine he was in the 80s. <laughs> uh, Last Action Hero here is his first movie since Terminator 2. And mm. he's looking to soften his 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 public figure just a little bit. But I, I feel like it would have worked better R-rated only because it would have just packed more of a punch, the, the action movie bits of it as well, and probably the jokes. Or if not R-rated, like a little bit of that 80s PG-13 style where you could still... You could still swear a little uh -huh. bit and and have like blood like my my biggest example of that is critters 2 yeah which is pg-13 but has nudity more gore than any other movie in or any other critters movie in that series and uh -huh. it has nudity a lot of nudity but it's pg-13 yeah. and it's it's that 80s pg-13 so you you just you could get away with a little bit more yeah but like I, I was I was looking at um uh, according to IMDb I was kind of looking this out like uh, basically yeah you're uh, you're saying about uh Schwarzenegger wanted to be a little more warmer and cuddlier in some ways but like uh, what's it called damn they had a shit ton of merchandising for this film like there's seven video games Burger King promotion which I actually do remember that uh, a theme park ride which I don't know where that theme park ride was to be honest with you the nasa had a, a paid ad in space metaphor alert they were the last action hero was the first advertisement to ever be placed on a rocket a nasa rocket and it was supposed to that rocket was supposed to launch around the time that the movie hit theaters but uh -huh. due to due to bad weather or whatever the launch got delayed so it didn't launch when the movie was supposed to and then eventually the <laughs> launch never happened well, that was uh, that was a sign. Yes, that was a sign. <laughs> that I think is why this movie got got like people were just primed to not like this movie because it was so ridiculously marketed. You're right, like all the toys, uh, the tie-in soundtrack, the NASA thing. There was that large, like what thirty foot, five foot tall inflatable blow up of Arnold Schwarzenegger holding a gun and dynamite in Times Square. Yeah, it's like, in it it's was, in the movie, and uh, yeah, and it supposedly it showed up in Cannes as well in in France. Yeah, eventually, because they had to remove it because it was right, it was the week after the Oklahoma City bombing, I think, <laughs> and they're like, oh, we should not have him holding dynamite. So, actually, oh no, no, the city bombing was like I think in '95. Well, what what there was some bombing. Oh, I wouldn't know. I'm not a bomb historian. I I, I really don't know the. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't know the uh, well, there was that some, specific thing. Yeah, there was some like terrorist action or some bombing. And so they changed the wow, they had to they had to remove the blow up mm -hmm. and they actually changed the dynamite to they changed it to just him holding a badge. But this movie, <laughs> it was very public how expensive this movie was. It was mm -hmm. very public how many hands were going into it. The marketing of it was so. It was a juggernaut. It was just everywhere. I can't think of anything until Star Wars or other than Star Wars that has been marketed just this pervasively. So when it came out, I think people were just ready to to call it a bomb. Like they'd heard how much it had gone over budget. They'd heard how much money was spent on it. And so they're like, yeah, they're judging it more from its behind the scenes stories than what's on screen. I mean, it happens all the time, you know? Yeah. Even if I didn't like this movie, I, I do mm -hmm. not think that the backlash or completely negative reputation that it gained, I don't think that was mm -hmm. deserved at all. I think 
There's a lot of fun to be had in it. It's a great idea. And like you, you were saying with Hudson Hawk, it's a little bit ahead of its time. I think if this exact movie were released now, mm-hmm. I mean, who would it be now? Vin Diesel, maybe? The Rock? I, oh, Rock. It, it has to be The Rock. Yeah, yeah, he, you're right. He's, the Rock has way more of a personality and a little more heartwarming, like, you know, a feeling than, than Vin Diesel does. I, Vin Diesel could do it too, but I think it's the charm that Vin Diesel doesn't have compared to The Rock. The Rock it just looks like he's likable. He has that smile. He has that 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 gusto, you know, <laughs> that he could be a badass. But then he can also, you know, pick up a little puppy and just, you know, smear it all over his face to make it all <laughs> adorable, you know. I think it would still, yeah. it would maybe not be as beloved if it were released today. But I think audiences mm-hmm. would be more forgiving of it. I think audiences yeah. would appreciate it more today than they did in 1993. I think so too. I mean, look. I mean, the the screening I went to, I mean, it was like less than half full. Oh wow! So I mean, that's like, I mean, that's what I expected for a live action hero screening. But yes, like you said, if they remade it though with The Rock, I think it would do way better. I think it would be doing gangbusters just because of The Rock. It is an odd film. Uh, like the idea of it's so good and there's a lot in here to really like and i i just i'm not sure like it, it just seemed so unfocused to me like the ending of the movie i mean you know you you try and think about like what what's a movie what what is a character's journey what is the journey that any of these characters go on mm-hmm. like danny goes back to the real world I mean, he he doesn't seem to be much changed other than that he knows magic exists. And then Jack goes back to the movie world and just continues to be a cop in sequels. (laughs) It's a movie that just kind of like it happens and people go back to their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like kind of reflected in the fact, like, I don't know if it's meant to be a meta joke or if it's just something that I'm like, oh, that's interesting, is that... um, the movie seems kind of so uninterested in its plot, like either the fake movie or what's happening in the real world. Yeah. So much so that the henchman of the movie basically steals the narrative. Not only, not only is Charles Dance kind of the most entertaining character sometimes, like he's yeah. such a badass in this movie. He literally just walks away with the story. He's just like, no, no, this is what the story is going to be. I'm going to go and do this now. Uh, and he ha- and he kind of breaks the fourth wall, like in one scene. Well, yeah, he. I mean, he leaves the movie, goes to the real world, lets out some other people, starts thinking about other villains that he wants to release into the world, uh-huh. in- including Death from the Seventh Seal, played by Ian McKellen, which I'd forgotten that was Ian McKellen. Yeah, I I forgot it was him, like up until seven years ago. We talked a little bit about the troubled production of this, and yes. I'm uh, once this episode drops, I will post a link on twitter instagram facebook maybe all three there's a really great a really great oral history out there i can't even remember what the website was so look at those notes gosh this movie just it's almost unbelievable to think that it got made and it probably wouldn't except it's that thing where the studio keeps throwing money to fix problems and they've spent so much money they can't stop now they have to just keep going to get through it (laughs) yeah like it started like right from the beginning because they they Zach Penn and Adam Leff wrote it uh-huh. and they they got it to their they got an agent off of it who wanted like shopped it around 
it started right from the beginning because Sony Pictures Entertainment, they had two production companies, Columbia and TriStar, and both yes. production companies were unaware that the other was bidding on the script. So they were both going after it and raising the price of the script. Oh, and Jesus. Eventually, like one of them stepped, stepped out of the way. But Arnold agreed to be in the movie. They gave him every demand that he wanted. They gave him $15 million for this movie. He had veto Oof. power over every aspect of production. He was prob- promised a rewrite that would make it more kid-friendly. And he was a producer, so he had input on every aspect from costuming to soundtrack to marketing. In fact, if you look at the action figures for this, his character, like his action figures don't come with any weapons. They come with weights and barbells because he didn't want his character to, like his toy character to have guns. Really? Because I think, because look, I, I, I'm actually going to surprise you, but I do have a few last action hero action figures somewhere. Are, are you calling me a liar? No, 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 I'm not calling you a liar. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, just saying I, I go, I did a little, I do not know if maybe they were, there were some with guns, but I remember him saying in this oral history and from a little light Googling that his toys had like weights in them, like a, a weight set. It was really weird I, looking. I don't remember those, but I do remember having at least a couple. I mean, like I said, I, I haven't seen them in, in years. I need to find them. But uh, there's somewhere in my in my storage or whatever. But I know that one of them had a, a stick of dynamite. Okay, maybe his did. Maybe it was just guns that he didn't want his his figure to have. Probably. Which is is really bizarre for this movie. I mean, I get it nowadays, especially like you know, guns are an issue. You don't want to be marketing them them to kids right now. But in 1993, yeah. for this movie to have toys and none of them have guns, really bizarre. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm searching eBay right now, and yeah, you're you're absolutely right on the uh, <laughs> there there is there is weights, and yes, there is like at least one piece of dynamite. And weights seem like such a weird accessory because he's never like he's never lifting weights in the movie. I mean, obviously, yeah, he's not no. Schwarzenegger, he lifts weights. Maybe maybe you could use this to do a a sweet like custom pumping iron action figure. But yeah, right. It doesn't, it just seems like an odd choice. And, and yes, and uh, the picture that I'm looking at right now is on the back. He has Kung Fu uh, dynamite throwing action. Oh, nice. So there were a bunch of directors that this was given to, and the directors that passed, I mean, this is kind of mm-hmm. a list here. It's uh, Richard Donner passed on it, Penny okay. Marshall and Gary Marshall. Lawrence, oh, wow. Yeah, those would have been weird. I don't know how those would have gone. <laughs> I want to see that. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan, Joel Ooh. Schumacher, and this one is actually kind of the most exciting. The Zucker brothers passed on it. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine like an airplane style take on this movie? I'm sad now. Yeah. <laughs> the The writers themselves, Zach Penn and Adam Leff, said that they wanted uh, Robert Zemeckis or John Landis. And Interesting. I But then it went to John McTiernan, who has... He's got a good history with this this type of film, Die Hard. Yeah, of course. Predator. Uh, yeah, like and you know, he's got a history with Shane Black and uh Arnold Schwarzenegger. So see, he seemed like a pretty good pretty mm-hmm. good choice. He has said in the past that Last Action Hero is the worst experience of his career. That uh, makes sense. It doesn't seem like it was fun for a lot of people, but uh a couple more things I I'm going to just send people to this oral history. I don't want to 
just run down everything in it, but there was a lot of interesting inter- information as well. So Zach Penn was cast as a police officer in this movie. He was in the scenes in the LAPD, that, that really insane police station that they film in. Yes. Uh, he's just a background uh, cop, but he's in all those scenes. But he says that he was filming for weeks every day. And then one of the other extras turned to him and said, hey, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but the camera's never pointing at you. <laughs> so he's there on set, but John McTiernan was so angry at, at them, I guess, because the, the script had to go through arbitration as well. But John McTiernan just purposefully blocked him out of the frame every shot, but still had him there on set every day. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, he, he seemed kind of like bit, not bitter about it. But he's like, well, it's kind of funny now, but why didn't he just tell me to go home? <laughs> like, why did he make me stand there on the set? <laughs> um, Zach Penn and Adam Leff write the script. Their agent also represents Shane Black. He hands it to Shane Black for a rewrite. They, he rewrites it with uh, David Arno, Arnott. Arnold Schwarzenegger still wanted uh, a little bit of uh, more of a rewrite. I think he still just wanted to soften his character. He talked the studio into hiring William Goldman. William Goldman was paid $1 million for the rewrite on this. Sweet Jesus. Which means that he was paid more than Zach Penn and, uh, and Adam Leff had to split. That $1 million was more than they got as a team combined. Oof. I mean, he's William Goldman. I mean, yeah. he's, he's no, made he gold. That's true. And then they still did rewrites because Carrie Fisher came in. Well, I, I've already said all this, haven't I? But Carrie Fisher came in and then John McTiernan rewrote. Post-production did not last long enough. They, they, they say they needed another month of production on this film. Yeah. They, they had a, a test screening that went so poorly the movie wasn't fully edited. That happens with test screening. People have to realize that. Um, well, yeah. but, but the test screening went so poorly that the comment cards were destroyed because uh, the executive, the producer, Mark Canton, who we mentioned earlier for Hudson Hawk, yeah. he, did not, he did not want McTiernan or Schwarzenegger to see the comment cards and ask for any more time for reshoots. They were really set on having that release day that they didn't oh, want to push it back. And yeah, because supposedly they they literally were shooting up until the week before the movie came out. Yeah. And like John McTiernan says that there's lots of scenes that just went straight from his camera into the movie. Like he didn't edit. They just blocked, took like an entire block of what he had filmed and put it in there. Oof. And you think about that now. Why were they so stuck on that release date? Because it was a week after Jurassic Park. And of course, you don't know in in 1993 you're not entirely sure what jurassic park is going to do but it is steven spielberg (laughs) it is it is a creature feature steven spielberg film adventure film which he has had nothing but success in for almost two decades at this point right like uh, man so just like you you think about those executives thinking like oh we've got this arnold schwarzenegger blockbuster and they they don't know that Jurassic Park is going to be the cultural phenomenon that it turned into. But you, they also had to think we have a very public debacle and we're going up against a Steven Spielberg effects spectacular based on a best-selling phenomenon book. Like they had to realize like that's going to give us some competition. So I don't know why they wouldn't just say, okay, we're going to, we're going to push it back a month. <laughs> Or even two weeks, like what were, I don't know, just like they say, they talk about in the oral history that it's basically an 
everybody on that movie is an 800 pound gorilla and you can't get in the way or you're just going to get crushed. You just have to, you know, keep riding along. Actually, you, uh, I want to bring this up really quick. Uh, you know, it's really funny. Um, you, have you seen Re- Ready Player One by any chance? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay. So the scene, like the big opening scene where they're doing the, the, the whole big race sequence, remember? Yeah. Okay, so there's one shot where they're passing by a movie theater. The movie theater is showing Last Action Hero. And then what comes out of, what breaks out of the movie theater? A fucking T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Nice. I didn't notice that. And that made me laugh so damn hard because I'm like, I know why they did that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, with all of the hands in this movie and all of the rewrites, Zach Penn and Adam Leff, despite writing the script the movie is based on only get a story by create credit for their own screenplay so anyway this is a movie like you have that connection with seeing in theaters do you have anything more you want to say about this any like i, I don't i don't want to be you know tearing this movie down too much because it is it is kind of a fun movie in the moment i just uh at the end of it i was just like oh that didn't that really didn't do it for me I mean, uh, let me ask you this. Has there been a film on your podcast that that you felt like one person really loved the movie and you're just like, this movie's a piece of shit? Um, like, has that happened on the podcast yet? No, no, not yet. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think this is a piece of shit. Part of the reason I wanted to do this and the, the format I chose is I want us to each bring movies that we're, if not passionate about, at least really enjoy and want to, want to talk about. And I feel bad because I... I'm the one that brought last action hero and I, I end up not liking it, but I think, no, it, but I'm glad you, but I'm glad you did because I mean, look, they, 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 they're all, they kind of Hudson Hawk and last action hero link up, not only because they're cartoon violent and they, you know, cartoonish violence. They're both Sony films. They both were scored by Michael Kamen. Um, they they both called? got kind of screwed over by Mark Canton. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And they both had huge ass, movie stars like yes. they're in their prime yeah i mean i'm glad you picked last lecture because again it's a movie that doesn't really get talked about either like i said when you when you said what movie you want to pick i'm like i gotta pick hudson hawk because nobody ever talks about it so yeah i'm, I'm glad i'm glad you chose last action hero i'm really glad yeah no i am too i'm glad i got to see it again the act of watching it was fun right like i i did like it i i just as a movie i think it's it i think it kind of fails to hold together i think Like it's definitely a movie made by committee and too many people were trying to find what they thought audiences were going to like instead of going for what idea in the script they enjoyed in the first place. Yeah. Uh, The the small little moments that I didn't definitely enjoyed was, I mean, um, actually what makes me laugh is uh, when he goes into the screen, what LA, you know, when you, when we see LA, we all know what LA looks like. Okay. But we see, but we see movie LA where yeah. you just see nothing but beautiful women, beautiful people. You'll never see a guy like me walking around beautiful LA, you know, in a movie <laughs> like that. And just having that little stupid moment of the alternate universe of having Sylvester Stallone in Terminator 2 when they're at Blockbuster Video. Which is odd because the T-1000 is at the police station earlier in the movie. Yes, that and Sharon Stone also has a cameo as, the, as her character Basic Instinct. So the T-1000 exists in this universe, but also the movie T-2. Yes. I liked, I did like that little touch that Schwarzenegger uh, or that Stallone was in the Terminator movie. That was kind of fun. Like there's a lot of touches in this movie. Tom Noonan is great. 
even oh yeah i will say there's a couple of laps i got in the first chase scene when danny is in the back of the car and they're in they're in the la uh river the aqueduct and they like jump up out of the aqueduct and land on a truck and go driving off yes just in the background you see the mini like it's a minivan or not a minivan but like a a, a truck a ford explorer or something that the the bad guys are chasing them in and it goes yeah up and over and it's such a ridiculously high jump that the thing <laughs> makes and it's just yeah. in the background of the scene that got a laugh out of me oh yeah i mean there's there's several moments that were just it's so ridiculous and also the uh during the the first chase sequence uh when when danny gets into the screen you know they're they're um you know the bad guys are like chasing uh, schwarzenegger and all of that and then um one of them gets shot out thrown into a uh, ice cream truck the ice cream <laughs> truck blows up and then a cone like gets shot right into the uh, the guy's the villain's back of the head which again another really really stupid scene but i had a good laugh out of it this one's a, a frustrating movie for me because <laughs> there's so much about it i want to enjoy this movie more than i do because there's so much about it that is so fun and it's so close to being very good it, it just feels like it was committed to death should we talk at all about the soundtrack? Because this soundtrack is is pretty. Uh, oh God, yeah! Like the soundtrack is. I mean, I don't know how good the soundtrack did because there's sometimes there's movies that movies don't make a dime, but the soundtracks do better. Like uh, Romeo and Juliet or Singles or any early '90s movie, like Days of Confused. That movie bombed, but the soundtrack is is incredible and it made more money than the movie itself. But yeah, Last Action Hero. I don't know the 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 statistics of uh the how much that soundtrack made but well, you got a great soundtrack you got acdc you got uh megadeth you got what, what else is in there alice in chains queensreich def leopard Aerosmith. 90s galore i actually have the information here it peaked at number yes. seven on the billboard 200 and oh, it, shit. Okay. it was certified platinum in august of 93 so oh, damn. It, it came out in june and less than two months later or just about two months later it's platinum it did well aerosmith did a uh, an orchestral version of dream on yeah it's it's a live version of dream on but again it's michael Kamen doing the the orchestral part while aerosmith does the the usual rock rock part you know yeah it, it's a soundtrack that like again kind of took me back to a place in time because it's not exactly my type of music mm -hmm. like i'm not a huge i mean i don't like aerosmith and i'm i'm okay with acdc it's not really my my style, but I, I just hear all those songs and I was like, oh my gosh, this takes me back. Like that <laughs> ACDC song is really, I don't know. It's rocking. It, it is. I loved it. I do miss this period where they were like the, the soundtracks would be events to themselves. Like when mm. was the last time a soundtrack went platinum like this? Absolutely. I mean, there's probably a bunch that I just don't know about because the the metrics now they're counting Spotify and iTunes, and I just don't pay attention yeah. to it anymore. But the stuff that I would never hear, I would never know exists, is platinum <laughs> album material now. I mean, I'm, I would probably old. say. I mean, look, I might say the Greatest Showman. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because I know that that made a lot. I mean, actually, the movie made a lot of money to everyone's surprise. But I know the soundtrack made a big uh, made a big thing as well. So I guess we're going to take a little break here. We're just going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with our top fives of the week.
All right, here we are with our top fives this week and our top five topic. Well, it's the same as the show. It is cartoon violence. You know, I'm not exactly sure what you chose to interpret the, interpret that as. I might have stretched the boundaries a little bit. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, my first one uh, is actually going to be a movie that was mentioned briefly earlier today. You mentioned it. I'm going to mm-hmm. choose Sam Raimi's Quick and the Dead. Oh, God, yeah. That's definitely without uh, cartoon violence. I mean, you have, you have a scene where a guy gets his head blown off, and it's so like a big chunk of it. It's not even gory. It's just a bit like a Wile E. Coyote type, like, you know, chunk of uh, chunk of head explosion. You know, I haven't seen it in a couple of years. It's one I'm always thinking like, oh, I should I should go back to that. I think it's it's kind of ignored in Sam Raimi's filmography. It's kind of an oddball Western, but it has such a cast that is stacked with superstars. It's an incredible cast. I mean, you got Sharon Stone. You got this is Russell Crowe's first American movie. You got Leonardo DiCaprio. You got Gene Hackman. I mean, honestly, Quick and the Dead is his love letter to spaghetti westerns more than American westerns, to be honest with you. Have you ever seen The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean? No, I haven't. I I feel like he takes a lot of inspiration from that movie. That movie kind of lags a little bit. It's not it's not my favorite, but. I remember when I saw it, I saw it like late night TV when I was in high school and it kind of blew me away. I don't know if I'd even seen the Sergio Leone Westerns. It it was an American movie, but seeing that kind of like spaghetti Western weirdness in a Western movie really, like really blew me away. Like there's a scene where Paul Newman shoots somebody in the stomach and it's the first time I remember ever seeing it where the camera is shooting from behind the person that gets shot and you see through the hole, Paul Newman. (laughs) Okay. And that that happens in Quick and the Dead. Um, I'm not sure yes. who who does the shooting, but that's a that's a mom, a move that Sam Raimi repeats. What do, what do you got? What's yours? Um, I'm definitely gonna say um, what's it? I actually I was gonna say Evil Dead Two. I almost put that on my list. I'm so I'm glad no, you I, picked it. So enough said with Evil Dead Two. We I mean, look if you don't lo- if you don't like if you don't like the Evil Dead trilogy, I don't know who you are. You know? Yeah. No. That that you're right. You're right a classic in every regard. <laughs> so next up, uh, I am going to go with Ricky O, the story of Ricky. I've seen bits and pieces and never seen the entire film, but I, I definitely know it. And uh, but I've been me- dying and meaning to watch the entire film altogether. When The Daily Show started and that scene, like he would replay that one shot of the guy crushing his, the other guy's head. <laughs> yeah. And I had to know what that movie was. And when I found out, I ordered it and bought it on VHS from Suncoast. And then the movie was such a hit with me and my friends. And I, I bought it again on DVD. I, I love that movie so much. And that head crushing scene is nowhere near the weirdest, craziest, most violent thing in that movie. There's so much really <laughs> nutso stuff. There's a scene where the hero gets his... Gets his arms, like, he gets his arms cut. The person cuts his tendons so he can't use his arm. Uh-huh. And so Riccio reties his tendons with his teeth so that he can reuse his arm. <laughs> I, it's so highly recommended. It's that, such a nuts movie. I mean, I mean, that's possible. I mean, I'm sure some people can do it. Yeah, yeah, those people that tie cherry stems with their tongue. Exactly. I, I know a friend <laughs> that can do that, and I'm pretty sure she can... She can do that with her tendons as well. Oh, gosh. I don't want to give away everything. Somebody else chokes another person with their own small intestine because they get their stomach cut open. And like <laughs> in death, they're like, I'm taking you with me. 
That's that, good. I like that. So I so highly recommend it. Like, especially as a fellow cinematic void, Egyptian theater devotee, mm-hmm. like the, this movie is so completely perfectly up your alley from what I know of you. Absolutely. I mean, I'm totally be down. Like I said, I've seen only bits and pieces and clips and scenes, but I've never seen the entire thing altogether. So yeah, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, it's, it's in the future. It's in my cards, you know? What do you have for your next pick? Uh, the Blues Brothers. Nice. Yes. That is, that is hardcore cartoon violence. I mean, come on. Carrie Fisher shooting a bazooka inside of a, in pretty much in a hotel in, in the, uh, in their little hotel shack that could have killed them in a heartbeat. They, they, they dust themselves off and they walk inside the hotel room to get their room. What the fuck? Or there's a scene where Carrie Fisher had bought a flamethrower. She sees them in a telephone booth. She shoots, she blows them up. The, the telephone booth shoots up in the air, long shot, you obviously it falls down there's done they're both dummies in the in the telephone the telephone booth they cut to the closer shot and they're just like oh we got money now <laughs> because it's all the quarters that came out of the, the telephone uh the telephone booth it's so stupid <laughs> <laughs> that's a movie that to me that's another comfort movie the blues brothers because again it has comedy it has action it's a muse it's practically a freaking musical yeah and that yeah, is like that has a fantastic soundtrack. Of course. And so, yeah, that movie is without a doubt just a big, giant cartoon. Like, I don't want to talk about Blues Brothers 2000, but I'll <laughs> talk, I can talk about Blues Brothers any day of the week. Good choice. That's not actually one I would have thought of, but it, you're talking about it. It totally fits. The next one we're gonna, I'm going to go with uh, we've, is another one we've mentioned on this show before today. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Death Wish oh my god again uh, it's this year was the first time i saw it at that that cinematic void screening and oh my god that movie's just it, it, that that movie's all over the place it's, it's so cartoonish it is by far my favorite of the death wish movies like same I've read, here i've read the books uh the two death wish books yes and and the books are very much different in tone than what the movies are i like the books a lot um i like death wish one fine but Death Wish 3, as problematic as it is today, it's a movie that like, oh gosh, it's like, it's a movie I would not recommend to a lot of modern audiences just for how much, oh no, like how light, lightly it treats rape and how problematic the racial politics of the movie are. <laughs> yes. But it is, it is hard to take any of that seriously just because of how silly the movie is. The movie is almost literally a cartoon version of a post-apocalyptic New York even though it's not oh, yeah. post-apocalyptic it's got one of those weird neon day glow multiracial gangs yes that yeah that it, it's kind of like if you've seen rumble in the bronx it's a lot like that gang in there where they're they're driving like <laughs> four-wheelers yeah. through new york streets exactly yeah yeah and but you know what's, you know what's funny when you sit when you say rumble in the bronx what makes me laugh about these two films is you know they both take place in new york or in the bronx but rumble in the bronx was shot in canada and you can definitely tell because there's you can see mountains and you know there's no mountains in the Bronx. Yeah. And Death Wish 3 was shot in London. Really? A lot of it was shot in London, especially the final like battle scene was huh. I mean a lot of the a lot of the 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 neighborhood scenes were shot in London. Interesting. Oh, that movie, that's a movie I have on DVD and even owning the movie if I was flipping channels in uh, through cable and it was like half an hour into death wish three 
I would um, sit and watch the rest of it. I would just like, oh, I'm sitting here for Death Wish 3. This is Yeah, it, I get that. It's so ridiculous. Just there's so much about that movie that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh I think it's my turn next. It is. Yes. Uh Raisin Arizona. Good pick. I don't know why I didn't pick it. I think I think I have it here as one of my alternates, but yeah, that's a good one. I mean, just this was after I think Blood Simple. Raising it so from Blood Simple going to straight to a screwball comedy like Raising Arizona, it, it's it's mind-boggling that they made that film. Again, that film is so so goddamn funny, and it also it's it's heart it, it has heart and it has a little bit of drama as well because of course uh, you have uh, Nicolas Cage and uh, Holly Hunter playing a, a newlywed couple that Holly Hunter really wants to have a baby but she can't have kids. So what they see is uh, they see on the TV is uh, Nathan Arizona has a, uh, I think a, the Arizona Quints, Quintuplets. And basically Holly Hunter has the idea of, they both have an idea of actually stealing one of their kids. And oh. there's this bounty hunter character that is trying to get the kid back. And it just turns, and again, it just turns into this really weird screwball comedy at the end, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good one. It, the Coen brothers are great. I, everything they do is great. Okay, so my next one, Oops. you know, I, I haven't seen it in a little while, but it, I, I remember when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is, I mean, it definitely calls out its cartoonish nature. Uh-huh. Is uh, Shoot 'em Up. Oh, love that film too. With Clive Owen. Uh, yeah. And yes, Monica Bellucci and uh, Paul Giamatti. It's a super fun movie, but it makes me laugh because when I, when I saw the film, I, I'm sure you agree with me on this, but... It kind of reminds me of Hard Boiled. Oh, definitely, definitely. Especially towards the end of the movie where he has to save it. He's basically taking care of a baby. Yeah, but it definitely calls out its um it definitely calls out its influences as well with Clive Owen and the uh the carrots all the time. Yes. So it it it's he's basically like a hyper violent Bugs Bunny. Yes, exactly, exactly. And uh yeah, it I, it's one I need to see again. I, I just remember watching it and like really digging all of the cartoon influences on it. What do you got for your next one? I got Hobo with a Shotgun. Oh my God, yes. Oh, why didn't I pick that one? It's a ridiculous Canadian movie. And you have Rucker Howard just like, he he's such an amazing presence and he has this great speech towards the end of the film. There's so much fun moments in this film. It's just over the top. It's a movie that, Almost every move seemed perfectly chosen to me. Like there, there's a lot of movies that they, they try to make a cult movie like that or a throwback yes. movie and it never works. It's so hard to make it work. It appears, but Hobo with a oh, Shotgun yeah. is one of the ones that. Oh, well, it succeeds. Well, yeah, it succeeds. It also, it feels perfectly like it could have come from that era while also being more than just, I mean, it's just not a rehash. It feels original as well. Yeah, and this was all based off a fake trailer that won a uh, a grindhouse uh, contest, fake trailer contest. Yeah, I love those like medieval knight villains, the ones that just have the helmets, and that yeah. tentacle monster that they have. <laughs> yeah, that that never shows up and except that one scene. The movie is great at continually escalating. A lot of those movies, they have something weird, and then they can't ever top it. But Hobo with a Shotgun continues to top it as the movie goes on. Hobo with a Shotgun, I love. I, I almost thought about Blind Fury because I love that movie so much. Oh, that's but, another film that they showed at the Egyptian last year. I, I just don't think that it's cartoony enough, even though I mean, parts think? of it are. You don't think so? 
Well, maybe I'll replace mine. Yeah, I will. I'm gonna I'm gonna use blind fury. So because uh, that was the closing night of the record Howard um retrospective. They show Blind Fury and fuck what's the other film? You might you might if I if I tell you the, the synopsis, you might get it. Uh it's post apocalyptic. Oh, it's Blood like of this, Heroes. Fuck, I said barely anything. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a lot of post-apocalyptic movies, so I, I was like, wow, you really got it. I've never heard of it before. I've never seen it, but um, Grad Moniger, the, the guy who who does a lot of film programming at the Cinematheque, he told the story of him and his friends watching that film opening weekend, and basically he lost a tooth, he broke a friend's arm, somebody else like broke a leg because they were trying to recreate the fight scenes in that film when they were oh, kids. God damn. That is so brutal. And I'm like, God, what a time to be a kid back in the nineties, back in the eighties, early nineties. Well, I have a similar story with blind fury. Blind fury came out. My mom wouldn't take it, take me to the movie and I couldn't go by myself. Cause it was R I was talking about it in school a lot about how excited I was for the movie and my teacher went to see it. And the entire week after he saw it, every day he would tell me about something cool in the movie and how great it was. And like, oh, but you didn't get to see it, did you? Oh, he was such an asshole. That sucks. I loved that movie when it came out on video. I rented it, copied it because I had two VCRs. And I watched the shit out of that movie. And I did the same thing <laughs> where my siblings were too young, but me and my friends would just like play with sticks in the backyard. <laughs> like we were like, we were blind swordsmen. That's uh, fucking awesome. So Blind Fury, it's a remake, I think, of the 17th Zadoichi film, or it's one of the teen yes. Zadoichi films. Yeah, it's one of them. But yes, it is a remake. And it has, uh, what's his name? Tex, is it Tex Cobb from? Uh, also in Raising Arizona. Randall, Randall Tex Cobb from also Raising yes. Arizona in it. Yeah, Randall Tex Cobb. It, yeah, I mean, it's not as like cartoonish as some of the movies but it does seem it's a very heightened world like the the characters are they could exist in a comic book world basically mm -hmm. it's such a satisfying action movie it's it's really great yeah that film's a ton of fun and uh, i forgot that the uh the director was there too um doing a q a as well for blind fury nice nice i i mean record howard is great that's a that's a movie that just like maybe the way that you have a connection to Last Action Hero or Hudson Hawk, I just have a an emotional connection to that movie. It it was such a a big exciting moment in my you know childhood. A, a very such an exciting movie. Okay, so the the last movie I'm I'm looking at my like I have my my small list, but then I'm looking at my my Blu-ray shelf, and I'm like, oh, maybe I might switch it because I have one movie in my list, but then I'm I I'm I'm completely staring at another film that i think might well, be a little better how about you you pick one and the other can be your honorable honorable mention okay my honorable mention kung power enter the fist no <laughs> nice yeah okay i think you just posted about that today didn't you yeah because i saw it on digital i'm like yep i just bought it on digital that's it good night everybody <laughs> yeah my my wife and i saw that in theaters uh that's that's kind of sweet actually i don't know I, you know how many people saw it when opening weekend on my my screening seven people oh that that actually seems like a lot <laughs> i i feel like that movie really disappeared oh no it came and went and now re i thought i was the only one that loved that film for years last year was the first time i actually heard people talk about it like one of my 
one of my writers that I write with on Creepy Kingdom, uh, she she has a podcast um, called Horror Movies and Chill, and her and her co-host keep on quoting Kung Pao. I'm like, oh my god, they know that they know the secret language that I know. Yeah. So I'm like, holy shit, you know Kung Pao too? So then I posted about it today, and I got a slew of likes and loves. I'm like, oh my god, I finally know people that like this film besides me we we showed it to our oldest daughter like a year or so ago and she just she she didn't really get into it she's not in the, movies the way that we are but man i can, I can feel your sadness so, that movie is so silly it's so stupid but i <laughs> i worked at a i worked at a suncoast for a while and i would uh-huh. i would uh look at all of the new releases we got or even not the big ones but i would just look at everything that came in and i yeah. bought I can't remember the title of it now, but I, there's a martial arts movie I bought specifically because on the back cover was Evil Betty. Like the, the actor that played Evil Betty was in this movie. And I was like, oh, it's Evil Betty. I'm buying this movie. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> okay. You either like it or it's not your thing. And I saw it opening weekend and it was totally my thing. And now it's nice to know that I know more people that that do enjoy this film and it's so and i think that really that really warms my black my cold black heart knowing that you and your wife saw it <laughs> uh, but yeah so yes kung pao is my honorable mention but the the movie that i do choose is the expendables 2 oh i don't think i saw that i think i just i think i might have tapped out after the first one that's a series i keep thinking i want to go back and check out but i, I just have such problems with stallone like latter day stallone well okay i'll tell you this so expendables 1 they took it they took it more of a kind of a serious route in some ways it's still kind of ridiculous because there is a scene where Terry Crews picks up a ginormous missile tosses it Stallone shoots the missile and of course it explodes a helicopter yeah <laughs> and me and my dad I was we we're dying from that shot but yeah but besides that it was a little more I think it, it, they took a little more serious in the first one the second one that is pure that is pure 80s gold yeah if it was me in the 80s because it is just bloody it's ridiculous they like the first the first five seven minutes of the first 10 minutes of the movie is just non-stop action you have jason statham i forgot i forgot who it is but he like he rides a he rides a motorcycle gets off it the motorcycle shoots up to the helicopter. They shoot the motorcycle, and of course, the helicopter explodes. And there's so many scenes like that of like ex- like unnecessary explosions all over the place. And then you have you know cameo like you have Jean Claude Van Damme as the villain, and uh, who else is in it? Oh, and then you have you have an amazing, great cameo by Chuck Norris. I I don't want to spoil the moment you see Chuck Norris for the first time, but I literally was dying of laughter. <laughs> Expendables two, I, I'd say, uh, I'd say skip the first one. Definitely skip the third one because the third one they wanted to go more of the PG thirteen route for some reason. I don't understand that decision at all. I actually don't mind like PG thirteen horror as much as a lot of people do. I, I just don't understand why so many studios are still trying to cut things down when when. <laughs> you know, the audience is there for an R rated. Yeah. With Expendables 2, again, I think, I think if you want to, I would say just skip one and three, go straight to two. Just know it's a big, stupid eighties movie 
that was shot in the mid 2000s in the teens okay well you inspired me to come up with my own honorable mention uh this one last thing we we're gonna have to wrap up here soon but i just thought i should mention yeah uh, another big stupid 80s action movie with sylvester stallone that wasn't actually in the 80s tango and cash yeah it's 89 so you got it is it 89 i thought that was early 90s no 89 Okay, well, that's my that's my honorable mention. That is such a cartoon of a movie. It's so silly. I, I love it so much. One of my fondest memories a few years ago back in Alaska, I uh-huh. took the day off because I wasn't feeling well. I just sat on my couch and I watched Big Trouble in Little China and Tango and Cash as a double feature. <laughs> and it was the best. That movie is That movie is the epitome of just being like a ridiculous kind of cliche action movie that is still uh, uh, so fun it's so much fun i i hate to say this but i've never seen tango and cash well you but have, i know of it you have homework now <laughs> <laughs> you have you have homework you have ricky o and uh, tango and cash yes and i definitely would not doubt and because i remember always seeing the trailer for tango and cash and always seeing that image of kurt russell dressed up as a woman yeah yeah you, you know and it always looked interesting to me so i mean look i and it's funny my family does own that film on dvd well you should get it you should borrow it from them and <laughs> watch it it's i mean it's worth it you will be happy I will, i'll definitely check it out i will totally check it out we're gonna have to get going here soon but uh yes like really thank you for doing this do you have anything that you would like to plug? Any place that we can send people to check out your stuff? Go. You can search my name on uh, on creepykingdom.com. Um, I actually did a couple of I did a uh, video for them uh, called the uh, top five Halloween films that take place during Halloween, and you can find that on creepykingdom.com/slash/Halloween-at-home, or you can read some of my reviews that I've I've done for Creepy Kingdom of course, on creepykingdom.com. I also write for another website called Nightmare Conjurings. Just go to nightmareconjurings.com, search my name. I'm there. And if you want to follow me because of my crazy fun quips, <laughs> uh, you can uh, you can, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the real Johnny underscore D as in dog. So real Johnny underscore D. Obviously, I, I talk a lot about movies and I, I post a lot of fun events. I mean, not not recently, but a lot of thirst trap pictures and, you know, all that good stuff. Not really, but just follow me. You, you, you won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I'll vouch for that. Go ahead and give uh, go ahead and give Johnny <laughs> a follow. Check out his writings. You're a fun follow. It's uh, some good <laughs> good stuff on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here. Really, it was a lot of fun. And everybody, thank you for listening. If you want to find us, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Two Headed Pod. That's T W O Headed Pod. There's also a Facebook group for the Incredible Two Headed Podcast, or a Facebook page. If you just, you know, do a Facebook search. If you still have Facebook, if not, tell your parents. Um, if you like the show, rate review subscribe it really does help and um yeah give us a follow on on social media as well i post a lot of stuff during the week trying to get to post more about the films and upcoming events and interesting stuff if you're enjoying the show but anyway thank you for listening and we will see you next week (laughs) 